So again, Genesis chapter 21, uh, beginning in verse 22. And if you would follow along with me there uh, in your copy of God's Word as I read uh, the text for us. It says, At that time Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will, deal false, will not deal falsely with me, or with my descendants, or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me, and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore the pla- that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham journeyed many days in the land of the Philistines. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in these moments and we ask, Lord, that your word would speak, that you would build your church for your glory. Lord, help us to rest in the truth of your inerrant, authoritative, sufficient word in these moments. Lord, would you move in our midst. Help us, Lord, to understand rightly your word and that we would apply it well to our lives so that we would look more and more like Jesus in this world. So, Lord, help us in these moments to consider the truth of these verses and help us, Lord, as we seek to apply them well to our lives. And it's in your Son's holy name that I pray. Amen. Uh, This is quite the obscure story that we've come to this morning. When you think of the stories in the book of Genesis, this is probably not one of the book, uh, one of the stories that you think of. But it's a it's an important story. Uh, It's important just uh, in a sense for the literature that's here in a transition to what has come before it and what is about to happen in chapter twenty two. Uh, we, we see here similar names and regions and, and characters in the story. Uh, last week we saw the child of promise comes on the scene. And here we see uh, the land uh, of promise being taken by Abraham. And this again sets the stage for the rest of the story of Genesis where we shift from this time that we spent considering primarily Abraham to where we will start to begin to think about Isaac, his son, and what God does to redeem him and his family and the, and the nations that come from him. And here in these these few verses, we see a dispute over a well that corresponds with a peace treaty between Abraham and Abimelech. And as oaths and promises and covenants would have been important in the life of God's people and the nation of Israel, as they read this story about an oath and a promise that is made, not only would they have appreciated the story, but this would have been a foundational and instructional uh, passage for the nation of Israel as God encourages them to live rightly among outsiders and in the land of promise that he brings to them. The original audience would come to this story and they would see here uh, how they would need to live among others through the example of Abraham and his interaction here with 
Abimelech. And so in these verses that we just read, we see this, that God desires for his people to live at peace with others. Now, I said this, is, this serves as somewhat of an instructive passage for the people of God. We, we don't see any commands here, though, or imperatives to the people of God to live at peace with others. But we most certainly see this uh, call from God to his people to live at peace with others throughout Scripture. And so when you get to the uh, book of Deuteronomy and God begins to tell his people how they are supposed to live in the land, uh, and, and considering how they take the land as well, there in Deuteronomy 20, verse 10, God tells the people, when you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. So again, this story would have been a great example for them of how to pursue peace in the land. Uh, this is also something that we see in the New Testament as well. In Romans chapter 12, there Paul says to live peaceably with all. And as he applies that to us as the New Testament church, he takes it so far to say, live at peace with even your enemies. If your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And so there is most certainly this call and this charge and this theme throughout the pages of Scripture for the people of God to live at peace with others. And we see that demonstrated here in these verses that we just read. So several things I want us to consider today from the text in light of this truth. First, we need to see here that believers should pursue peace. Here we find Abimelech again, a character that we were first introduced to back in chapter 20. You remember the story there. He is the king of Gerar and Abraham is sojourning in his portion of the land. And so Abraham for the second time lies about Sarah being his sister and Abimelech takes her into his house. And he has this vision from the Lord where God says, you are a dead man because you've taken in this man's wife. And he says, I didn't know. And so Abimelech repents of his sin. He returns Sarah and he blesses Abraham. And so here again, they come together, but this time the writer, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us that he brings this one Fickhall with him, who is the commander of his army. We don't know much about this one who's named Fickhall, uh, other than he's the commander of the army. And we see here that this would have been a very official type of peace treaty. So you think about in modern day times when world leaders gather around big giant wooden tables and talk about peace. This would have been a very official peace talk that happens here. And, and, and that is exactly what Abimelech wants. He wants a covenant of peace with Abraham. He's seeking a peace treaty with Abraham. And if you look there at verses 22 and 23, there's, there's two reasons why he wants peace with Abraham. There's more of a primary reason, and then there's more of a secondary reason. I want us to turn our attention first to the secondary reason that you see there in verse 23. Uh, we see in verse 23 that Abimelech has not forgotten how Abraham treated him in chapter 20, where he deceived him and was dishonest with him. So he says to him, Therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. And so he needs a promise from Abraham if he's going to make this peace treaty that Abraham will not deceive him as he's proven that he is capable of doing before, as we saw in chapter 20. 
He also asked that Abraham would deal kindly with him. The latter portion there, verse 23, he says, I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me. And so again, we, we think back to chapter 20 where Abimelech would have had the right to kill Abraham and keep Sarah for himself, but rather he returns Sarah and he blesses Abraham with possessions and a portion of the land. And so secondarily here, he, he is more of a self-serving desire for Abimelech. He, he wants this this treaty of reciprocation. I was kind to you, be kind to me, and don't do to me what you did to me before. Deal honestly with me, not falsely. But notice the primary reason that Abimelech wants peace with Abraham. You find it there at the end of verse 22, the very first thing that he says to Abraham, where he says this, God is with you in all that you do. The primary reason he comes to Abraham and wants to have this relationship with him is not because of Abraham's character. In fact, for Abimelech, Abraham's character has proven quite questionable. He's not trustworthy. The primary reason that Abimelech comes to Abraham in this way is because there is evidence that God is with him in all that he does. He looks at Abraham and sees that the Lord, the creator God of heaven and earth, is with him. And so Abraham's response there at the end of verse 24 is, I will swear. This type of peace policy would have been encouraged among the nation of Israel. Again, as we read there in Deuteronomy 20, before you go into a city to take it, see if you can't have peace first. Here, an opportunity for peace is presented to Abraham, and he takes it. But there's something really important that we need to understand here about pursuing peace, and that is this. We cannot pursue peace with others if we are not first pursuing God. This is true of our relationship with our spouse, our neighbor, our coworker, and even the lost and dying world around us that largely despises and hates us. We must be people who first and foremost pursue God if we are going to live at peace with anyone in this world. And this is kind of where there's a tension in the passage because we live in a day where the church has at large tried to live at peace with a lost and dying culture and world. And so what that's looked like is giving in to the ways of the world and doctrine and practice and belief for the name of some sort of peace that really is just a false type of peace. When we consider pursuing peace with the world around us, we need to understand that we are responsible first and foremost to pursue after God and obey him. And so when we think about pursuing peace with others, the question we need to ask ourselves is when people look at us, do they see Jesus? When people look at us as Abimelech looked at Abraham, is there evidence that you have been with the Lord? There's a story in Exodus when Moses comes down from the mountain when he has the two tablets there and, and he was in the presence of God and he comes down and the text tells us that it was so apparent that he physically had changed. His skin was glowing and it says there that the people saw him and that he had been talking with God. When people look at your life outside of the four walls of this church, is there evidence that you have spent time with God? Is there evidence that Christ has taken hold of your life? It is only then that you will find peace in your relationships. Now, again, we need to think about this as we think about relating to the world because Scripture tells us to seek peace with even our enemies. 
And as we think about our relation with an outside world, a lost and dying world, Jesus tells us that the world is going to hate you for following me because they hated me first. And so there is this tension that the world at large, for the most part, is going to hate us and despise us if we are living in obedience to Christ. But there are times and there are moments in God's providence where he allows us to live at peace with the lost and dying world around us for his glory. And we'll talk about this more in a moment. But consider this today. As you go throughout this coming week, will there be evidence in your, of your li- in your life that you have been in God's word? Will there be evidence in your life that you have walked through your days praying and seeking the Lord and being led by his spirit? Will there be evidence in your life that you have been a part of a fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ who edify you and make you look more like Jesus? When people look at you, do they see evidence of Jesus in your life? The second thing we come to see here in the text, though, about peace is believers should seek to restore peace. We primarily see this in verses 25 through 27. If, if at the end of cha- uh, verse 24 where Abraham just says, I will swear you since there a little bit of hesitancy in his response, you're probably right because there in verse 25 we see that there is a dispute that needs to be resolved first. Abraham rebukes Abimelech because apparently some of his servants have stolen one of Abraham's wells. Interestingly, in the original language, the Hebrew there, this is, a ve- this is very formal language. This is a formal public complaint that Abraham is making against Abimelech. And what's so somewhat funny is just as Abimelech before, in chapter 20, where God rebukes him, and he says to God, what? I, I didn't know. And he's innocent. He-, he does very much the same thing here in verse 26. I, I did not know that anyone had done this thing. You, you did not tell me. Today is the first time that I've heard about this. Seems convenient. At this point, Abraham's response could have been, dude, I'm calling this off. You're, you're, you're kind of flaky. This is the second time you've said I didn't know. He, he, could have, he could have said to him here, you know, you're, you're not a very good leader. What type of king doesn't know which Wells have been taken by his people. I don't think you're sincere, Abimelech, in your apology. I don't believe that you didn't know this, Abimelech. But whatever Abimelech says to him there in verse 26 appears to be sufficient. Why? Because the very next verse tells us what? Abraham took sheep and oxen, gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made what? A covenant. A promise. Here we see an important aspect of what peace-seeking looks like in the Christian life and with those around us. We don't always have to be right and have the final word to achieve peace. When we seek peace with our spouse or even the, the, the enemy who despises us, we will always have to set aside some sort of pride and selfishness in that process. And so once the dispute was resolved, they covenant together. And so they exchange these gifts, which would have been, in, been customary in the day. And in these few verses, we see that it is possible to have an open, honest dispute that is settled peacefully. And we, as the church, should seek for this. Open and honest disputes with the goal being peace. This is why Jesus says to us in Matthew, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his 
fault. Disputes will arise among us. We need to be a church and people and families. When they do arise, that we settle them in the light with the goal being peace. Peace will not be achieved in the dark hallways of gossip. We must bring our disputes into the light as the body of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul says this, Brothers rejoice, listen to what he says, Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. The application here is very specific for the church, for us today as a local fellowship, Calvary Hills Baptist Church, that we would strive after restoration and comfort and agreement and peace in all that we do. Because again, we will not always see eye to eye. There will be disputes among this covenant family. There are disputes daily in our own homes with the people we love most in this life. In a church that has a membership of over 300 people, there are most certainly going to be disputes. If we should pursue peace with outsiders and even our enemies, how much more should we seek to restore peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so church, are you striving for peace as the outcome in your disputes? Too much is at stake for us to allow disputes to divide us. Now there are essentials of the faith that we have covenanted together to believe in as the church and doctrinal things that we hold to as a Southern Baptist church that we must agree on and we, we all agree in those things, but there, there are tertiary issues in theology and practice that we're not going to see eye to eye on. And as I so often remind us, there are some of us who just don't get along because our personalities are different and we see things differently but we have covenanted together as this local church to bring about Christ's kingdom in this world, to make much of Christ, to encourage one another and build each other up, to edify each other, to look more like Jesus, and we cannot allow disputes to divide us. We must seek after peace. So whatever dispute you are facing this morning, go to that person and seek after peace. Now, if we're honest, myself included, we, we hear that plea in the sermon and we sometimes think to ourselves, well, I hope that person's listening. They got to come to me. If that's your response this morning, I want you to reconsider what we just read and the promises that we just see. There is a call for each and every one of us to pursue and restore peace when it's been broken to the glory of God. So do that today. The third thing we see here about peace is that believers should promote ongoing peace. So we're not talking about just a quick fix, a band-aid. We're talking about living in peace into the future. We see this here in verses 28 through 30 where Abraham gives these seven ewe lambs. We don't know exactly uh, what is specified in the treaty. The writer in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit doesn't tell us. We can assume there's some sort of cooperation and in that, Abraham presents these seven ewe lambs to Abimelech. And at first, we're kind of confused. Are they a part of what he gave him in verse 27, or is this extra? And Abimelech himself is confused. He says, what is the meaning of this? 
And Abraham says to him, very frankly, very bluntly, you must take this. And so this clarifies to us that this is some sort of an additional gift that that Abraham is giving to Abimelech to accomplish something. And what he accomplishes here is, is, is a legal thing. There's a legal transaction that happens here. In giving him these seven ewe lambs, Abraham is doing two things. First, he's securing his right to the well. But also, he's securing his right to dwell in the land. So if you remember, back in chapter 20, when Abimelech and Abraham interacted the first time, thereafter, Abimelech gave him these gifts. In verse 15, it said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases. So he had Abimelech's word, but now he has an official act that makes this legal, that this is his well and this is his land. And this happens by presenting these seven unweaned female sheep. That's what a ewe lamb is, if you were wondering what a ewe lamb was. But there's something more important here that we see in verses 28 and through 30, and that is that God is blessing Abraham, and it's happening right before our eyes. This would have secured ongoing blessing for Abraham and the generations to come in the land, but it would also have turned to be a blessing for others. And so we see the fulfillment of the promise happening right before us in Genesis 12, where God says, I'm going to bless you, and anyone who blesses you will be blessed. Abimelech is smart here to make this treaty with Abraham because God is with him and he is in the land, and Abimelech will be a beneficiary of the blessing. And so without this well, this source of life, Abraham's family and the coming generations in the land would be threatened by ongoing conflict and lack of peace. But here, looking into the future, he provides peace for his family. This is not a quick fix. This is looking to the ongoing peace. And we we see the, the language of the coming generations, even in Abimelech. Abimelech has in mind his posterity and his descendants. And so this is where peace seeking gets really hard for us in our relationships, and in particular, our relationships in the church. Because again, we, some of us are very different. And it's hard for us to love certain people in this fellowship. And so we might say, Pastor, you, you don't understand. You don't understand the hurt that that person has caused me. You don't understand how they have slandered my name. They've treated me as if I am an enemy. This is too hard. But dear friend, I want to encourage you to look to the cross where we were once haters of God. We were once slanderers of God. We were once enemies of God and yet he made peace for us by the blood of Christ at the cross. And we have peace and good standing before this holy and righteous God. The offense that we had against a holy God is nothing. It is is far more extreme than the offense that anyone could ever do against us. And so as brothers and sisters in Christ who have covenanted together, we must pursue peace. I want you to listen to Romans chapter 5, how Paul talks about this through the the view of the cross. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Later in verse 6, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. If you have found peace at the cross by the blood of Christ, you are to then seek peace even with those who seem to be your enemies. Even those who live in fellowship with us in the church. And so very practically, how do we promote ongoing peace? Later there in in Romans chapter 12, which I cited earlier, Paul gives us some practical uh, ways for us to promote ongoing peace. So, So how do we promote ongoing peace? Especially with those people who are hard for us, we, we find it hard to get along with. First, we need to pray for our enemies. Now, I'm not talking about the Texas prayer of, bless your heart. We're not saying, Lord, fix that person because they are messed up. No, I'm talking about intentional, purposeful prayer for that person that comes to mind for some of you right now who is so hard to love that you would pray for them like you pray for yourself and your own family. That they would be at the top of your prayer list. That you would pray that God's will would be done in their life. That he would bless them. That he would keep them. That he would sanctify him. And when you start to pray for that person in that way, watch how your perspective of them changes. Regardless of how mean and harsh they are to you, pray for those people. Paul says there in Romans 12, not to repay evil and don't seek vengeance. Well, they did this to me, so I'm going to do it to them. They gossiped about me, so I'm going to gossip about them. Church, we don't live like that. That's not how we operate under the banner of the gospel. Paul says in Romans 12, when they are hurting, to care for them. When that person who is so hard for you to love is in the hospital and they come home and we do a meal train for them, make sure you're the first one to sign up for the meal train. When they experience the loss of a loved one, you need to be the first one who texts them and says, you know what, brother, I love you and I'm praying for you. But Paul also says we are to rejoice when they rejoice. This might be the hardest thing of all. When that person that you just can't get along with finds blessing in their life to rejoice with them, and yet Scripture commands us to do this if we are to pursue ongoing peace. The final thing that we see here, though, in verses 31 through 34 is that believers should use peace to the glory of the everlasting God. There are several things here in verses 31 through 34 that are somewhat unclear and and some things that are more clear. Three things in particular I want us to look at. The name Beersheba, this tamarisk tree, and then the name everlasting God. I think these three things will help us see how Abraham is using peace to the glory of God. First, the name Beersheba. Uh, This name could potentially mean they swore, or it could also mean the the well of seven. So the, the, the swearing and the number seven are really important in this time period and even in the word of God. Uh, There's a lot more that could be said about that, but what is clear is the name Beersheba represents that a treaty has been made here, and it would commemorate for future generations what happened there between Abraham and Abimelech. The name itself would have been a permanent reminder of what God did in this place between these two men. 
And so there at the very end where Abimelech and Phicol in verse 32, they leave and return to the land of the Philistines, we see here that this is truly Abraham's well and this is his land. He has legal claim on the well and the region. And this name would have served as a reminder of that. Then we consider the tamarisk tree. You see there in verse 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Now, if you've been walking through the the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis with us, you know that there's been a lot of trees mentioned. And you've probably been thinking to yourself, "What, what is up with all the trees? And all these times that Abraham moves to a new place and he builds an altar and he calls upon the name of the Lord, even at the earliest point in the story, back in chapter 12, Verse 6 says, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. So there's your first tree. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Later in verse 8, it says, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Later in chapter 13, verse 4, when he returns to that place, it says he called upon the name of the Lord Again, and then finally, at the end of chapter 13, verse 18, Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre. So there's more trees, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And as we track the story of Abraham, where does the writer pinpoint his location throughout? By the oaks of Mamre. So there's this connection between Abraham coming to a place and setting up an altar and calling upon the name of the Lord in worship. And then also there's these trees that are mentioned. What is the significance here? Well, there's a lot that could be said, but very simply, this tamarisk tree would have served as a lasting landmark to God's faithfulness, blessing, and provision over Abraham and his family. This planting of this tree in verse 33 of chapter 21 is out of gratitude and worship to the glory of God. Abraham has a son and he has a well and he has land. He's at peace and he looks to bring God glory in the midst of that. Finally, though, consider the name there, the everlasting God. You see there at the end of verse 33, he calls out to, this, to the Lord, the everlasting God. God has revealed his name Uh, different names to Abraham throughout the story. In in chapter 14, we have El Elyon, which means God Most High. In chapter 17, we see El Shaddai, God Almighty. Here we have El Olam, which is the everlasting God. In this, we see that God not only has been faithful, but he will continue to be faithful. This covenant he's made with Abraham that is manifesting itself before our eyes in the story is an everlasting covenant. And so again, here here he is. He has the son of promise. He, He has a land to dwell in. He is in this season of peace and he seeks to bring God glory alone for this everlasting covenant he's established with him. I mentioned earlier we're going to talk about seasons of peace and how we should use those for the glory of God, and especially in regards to living with outsiders. If you think about the history of America, for I would say all of America's history, the church has lived at peace, free from persecution, free from 
from chaos and in and through that, throughout the history of the church in America, God has used his bride to bring him glory to the ends of the earth. Endless countries and tribes that are descendants of American missionaries that have gone to them. The amount of blessings that we have in the modern day church with with Bible studies and curriculum and and commentaries and theological training and seminaries and, and endless access to pastors and resources. All of these things, God has blessed the American church He has given us peace throughout the history of this church that has resided in this land. And for the most part, we've used it to the glory of God. Now, I would say there's probably persecution coming, and we see that on the horizon. But we still live at peace, church. And so how are you and how are we using this season of peace that we live in to advance God's glory and his kingdom in this world? You could get up tomorrow morning and go to a public college campus and preach Christ there. Just to have the name of Christ on your lips in many countries in our world today could cost you your life. You have the freedom, dear brother and sister, to go to your next door neighbor's house, knock on the door, and tell them about Jesus. And how often in this freedom and the peace that we have as the American church do we remain silent about the things of God? We come to the end of the story here in verse 34. It says, And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. The fulfillment of the promise is happening right before our eyes. It's becoming more and more clear. As I've already mentioned, he has the child, he has the well, he has the land. He finds himself at peace in the land. But there's a storm coming. In chapter 22, Abraham's greatest test will come. The greatest testing of his faith and the greatest testing in light of the covenant and the promise will come to him in chapter 22. All of the stuff that he has faced so far is child's play compared to what will happen to him in chapter 22. But here in these moments, we rest in verse 34 where he's living at peace and he's pursuing peace and he's restored peace and he's promoting peace to the glory of God. Church, may we do the same. May we pursue peace and restore it and promote it to God's glory in all that we do. Let us pray.